so good to see you all today. People look happy, I think, because we have fresh food waiting for us. So we'll try not to make this go too long so that we can uh, enjoy that soon. Um, But before we begin, let us pray. God of the covenant, we thank you for the gift that it is to be your people, for the freedom that we have to gather here to worship you, for the joy that it is to be in fellowship together, most of all, to be in fellowship with you, the Lord of all creation. May everything that comes from my mouth today and that comes within our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you know it needs to change, but change just sounds too scary, or change just sounds way too difficult, and so instead you choose just to keep things the way they are? So let's start off really easy. Say uh, your internet provider at your house, perhaps speaking from personal experience, is not working. It works like 25% of the time. But to make those phone calls to set up an appointment and get a new system and change your computers and TV and all that stuff just sounds really annoying, too hard. So you pay an arm and a leg for this service that works about a quarter of the time for months because change just sounds too difficult. Are we the only ones who have been there? Anyone else? Maybe. <laughs> okay, so that was an easy one. Let's, let's get a little more personal. Has anyone ever been to the doctor? And your doctor says, hey, I think you can get better, but this is what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to make some changes, like less burgers and fries, more vegetables, less TV, a little more exercise, less stress, a little more peace. And you do, you, you desperately want to get better. You have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed to get better. But really, Doc, no burgers. Come on. There's got to be an easier way for this to happen. Maybe it gets even more personal than that. Perhaps you or someone you know has struggled quietly with years with some sort of addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to a, a drug or a drink or food or pornography or your social media accounts. You know things have to change. You know that this way of life is seriously harming you and those around you. But changing those habits, man, that sounds really hard. Maybe the change that you see is something on a broader scale. Maybe it's some large, sweeping societal sin that falls far short of God's intentions, yet yet to, to make a change, to speak out against whatever sin that is. Maybe it's racism or sexism or ageism or systemic abuse. To go against the status quo, well, that sounds really scary. So no thank you. I'll just keep things the way they are. I've heard it said before that the only person who likes a change is a baby with a poopy diaper. (laughs) Let me tell you, 
I have a child still in diapers, and even she hates a change. No joke, she would rather sit around all day in a filthy, stinky diaper that's smelling up the house rather than to have to change what she's doing in order to get a clean diaper. It's a battle. And it seems ridiculous, right, for this toddler to sit in that filth and stink. But then I think, how often is that true of me? How often is that true of us as adults in general? How often do we stay in some really filthy, stinky situations just because we don't want to change? How often do we stay physically, spiritually, emotionally sick and miserable because we're too stubborn to change. But praise God that we have a perfect, loving parent. God who wants so much more for us. God who can and will bring about so much better for us if we would simply trust him. But here's the thing, my friends, that journey towards change, it doesn't happen overnight. It certainly is not guaranteed to be simple and problem-free. God does promise, however, the God of the covenant, God promises to be faithful, to stay with us, to have our best intentions in mind, to guide us and lead us the whole way if we simply trust in him. So one of our best lessons from this comes from the book of Exodus, the story of God leading his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. But before we read from Exodus 14, let me give you a picture of the situation that needs to change. It is a very filthy, stinky situation that's smelling up the whole place. It's a situation that God desperately wants to change and the people need no they know need to change. So by the time of Exodus 14, God's people, who are called the Israelites, they have been slaves to the Egyptians for 430 years. That's a long time, folks. For 430 years, the Israelites have been forced every single day to do meaningless, back-breaking work. Not only that, but Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has been killing the Israelite baby boys, taking their children and murdering them. This is not a good situation. All of this is because Pharaoh's afraid of having his power threatened by the Israelites. It's a bad situation. So after 430 years of this, God acts miraculously. God works miracle after miracle after miracle, read about it in Exodus, to change the Israelites' situation. And God miraculously brings them out of Egypt. Not only does he bring them out, but he disposes the Egyptians to give the Israelites their gold and silver as they leave. Talk about a turn of fortune, right? By the power of God, the Israelites go from this oppressed, poor, slave people to wealthy, free people on their way to a promised land. That's a pretty good change, I would say. Now, you would think with this change of situation that God has brought for them, the Israelites would be ecstatic, right? 
This is what they've been crying out to God for. You would think they would be overflowing with gratitude toward God and toward Moses, whom God uses to lead this rescue. You would think that from here on out, the Israelites would never doubt God and God's power. You would think that their whole lives would be devoted to the Lord of their deliverance. You would think that's not what happens. Instead, at the very first sign of trouble, at the very first scare, the Israelites completely lose trust in God. They turn on God's leader, Moses, who has fought so faithfully for them. That's where we pick up today in Exodus 14, verse 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the king of Egypt was told that the people, that is the Israelites, had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, What have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. We skip down to verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. We'll stop there for now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you hear it? Moses, what have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. Yeah, Moses. Yeah, God, how dare you? How dare you bring us out of slavery and murder and oppression, that whole situation? How could you? At the very first sign of challenge, the Israelites let their fear completely overtake them, and they become totally irrational. They stop trusting God, and in this irrational fear, they decide they would have rather gone back to things the way things were before. It wasn't that great back in Egypt, you know, slavery, our kids being murdered. But hey, at least we knew what to expect, right? Out here, I, I don't know what's coming. This is way too unknown, way too scary. So just take us back. Take us back to Egypt. It sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds ridiculous, but my friends, if we're honest, we do the same thing all the time. All the time, God frees us and we're begging to return to Egypt. Say that for years your marriage has been on the rocks, it's been rough. For years, perhaps, you've begged your spouse to go to couples counseling with no luck. 
Until one day, for whatever reason, your spouse agrees to seek some professional help. And it feels like a miracle of God. Finally, God has heard my prayers. And so you go to two or three sessions, and the miracles seem to keep coming. You're finally talking again, like really talking. You're finally working through some hard things. Praise God. But then in session four, a tough topic gets brought up something that you would rather not discuss that feels a little bit scary to you, and suddenly that irrational fear takes over. This is harder than I thought. I don't think I'm up for the challenge. Maybe we should just go back to the way things were before. Or consider a different family where perhaps a spouse and a children are being abused by the other spouse, and, and they know things have got to change. Like the Egyptians treating the Israelites, they're innocent people's lives being destroyed. But the abused spouse sees no way out until one day God sends a miracle. God sends a person who says they'll help the spouse and the children get out to a safe house where they'll get care and protection. And they do, they get out, and they are ecstatic. Praise be to God. But then two to three days into their stay at the safe house, the challenges of the journey start to sink in. How are we going to make it financially? Where are we going to live? This seems too hard and too scary. Maybe we should just go back to that dangerous place we were before. Or finally, take perhaps the situation of someone recovering from an addiction. I don't know if you or someone you know has ever gone through a recovery process, but I worked for several years in addictions ministry, and I can tell you it's an incredibly difficult journey that I learned as I watched. So a lot of times an an addict will finally get help, whatever that addiction is, and they'll go through this grueling detox process. By a seeming miracle of God, they're finally physically freed from this chemical dependence. Praise be to God, the freedom is life-changing. That's just the beginning of the journey because then the person has to face challenges like loneliness or conflict or put-downs that remind them of their low self-esteem. And all these things a person used to handle with a substance, but now the substance isn't an option, and they panic. These emotions are too hard and too scary. Take me back to the drug. That seemed easier. Folks, these aren't hypotheticals. These are real-life stories I have heard over and over from all sorts of people in all sorts of settings. And perhaps you have too. Perhaps these aren't situations you have faced, but we all face situations like this that are so reminiscent of the Israelites wanting to return to Egypt. Because here's the thing, folks. You probably know it, but it needs to be said. Change is hard. Many of us pray for God to rescue us from something as the Israelites prayed for God to rescue them from Egypt. But sometimes what we really mean is, God, pluck me right out of Egypt and set me right down into the promised land. Please no journey in between. 
Please make it an instantaneous, easy solution. I don't want to have to do anything in the process. Sometimes on rare occasions, God does change things overnight. Praise be to God. But more often than not, from our own experiences, from the scriptural story, we read that God leads us on a journey. It is a journey that includes challenges and in trials, but it is a journey that leads us to deeper faith in God. It leads us to trust in God, the power of God. It leads us to deeper relationship with our living Lord. So I wonder today, how are you doing with trusting the Lord? Is there some kind of journey that God wants to lead you on or has you on? Are there places that fear is drawing you back? I encourage you to consider those questions this week. Perhaps you need to jot them down in your bulletin now. How are you doing trusting the Lord? What is the Lord doing in your life? Is he trying to lead you on a journey? How is fear playing into that? How can you trust God in that fear? So now we're going to continue with our story from Exodus 14 and see how this unfolds for the Israelites and then what we can learn from them because we learn a lot. So we'll pick up now with verse 13. This is the famous part of the story that you're probably quite familiar with. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. We skip to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud took down the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. 
The waters returned and covered the chariots and chariot drivers and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. Talk about the power of God, right? The Israelites are scared of this army, but look what the Lord does for them. The Lord is faithful and protects them and sees them through and works miracle after miracle after miracle to lead them out to safety. Now there's something really fascinating that goes on in this part of the story that perhaps you noticed, perhaps, perhaps you just skimmed over it. But it's verses 13 to 15. We're going to look at that again. So this is really interesting. So Moses is trying to comfort and encourage the Israelites to trust in God's power before all this parting of the sea happens. He says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. Yes. Amen, Moses. That is right. That's what's going to happen. But then there's this really funny interaction between God and Moses. Did you catch it? Moses says in verse 14, Then the Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. But the Lord replies to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. In other words, stop standing around. Go. (laughs) Go. Get moving, Moses and the Israelites. Go. Trust me. Keep going forward. It is the Lord who's going to provide the deliverance, but God has something for the Israelites to do in the process. Go. Keep moving. Don't just stand there. Just keep moving forward. Go. I find this so fascinating and illuminating for our faith lives. Because how often do we stand around just crying out to God for something to change? And God says, okay, I will do that. Now go. Keep moving forward. I have something for you to do in this. Go. Say you and your family have been in financial troubles for a long time. It feels like you are a slave to your financial debtors, right? And you pray for God to help you out of this slave-like situation. And God says, okay, okay, now go. That is, I'll lead you on the journey, but you have a part to play. So, so maybe get some financial counseling Maybe cut back your spending, start living within your means, and you're going to be tempted to return to the Egyptian or the American ways, rather, of spending more than you have. So be aware of that. It's going to be hard to not turn back to that, but trust God and keep going forward. Or another example, perhaps you have prayed for years in years, for God to work among the next generation, your kids and your grandkids' lives. 
You want God to do something powerful to work in them, to lead them to a life of peace and flourishing with Jesus Christ. And God hears your prayers and says, okay, go. Move forward. That is, I will do something. It is my work, but I have a part for you to play. Go. Get involved in the lives of our youth. It may feel scary and foreign, like you have no idea what you're doing, but go. Just trust me. I will lead you on the journey. Now, I think this is an important example to mention today, which is the first Sunday of our new youth pastor, Andy Burdick. Hi, Andy. If you missed the introduction, there he is. Hello. We are so blessed to have Andy with us. He comes to us with a lot of training and skills and experience and passion for ministry. But friends, this isn't his journey alone. This is the entire church's journey. It takes an entire people to raise up our children and youth in the faith. Did you know that there was an extensive study done that says that for faith to stick for a youth that's birthed a young adult, that a youth needs five adults deeply invested in their lives? Five. Five to one. That's our ratio. Five to one. That means God is inviting all of us on the journey. It's not a one-man show. It's not a three, six, ten-man show. It takes the whole church. So we are launching into a new journey of a, a new phase of discipleship for our children and youth. And God is inviting us all. Go. However I call you, just trust me. Go and keep moving, keep moving forward. I will be with you. And I will work wonders if you just trust me. So friends, as we we close, I'm going to point out two last points that are very instructive for our faith lives. And we'll close with this. The first one I think is interesting because I think we have a certain picture of the Israelites moving through the Red Sea that may not be so accurate to their experience. Have you all seen the the Disney uh, Moses movie? What is it? Leaving Egypt? I forget what it's called. I don't know. There's a, a Disney movie about this, and it's really cool. Like, they're just walking through on dry land, and you see all the fish and whales swimming around. And, and as a kid, I thought, that would be so cool to walk through the water like that, right? That would be awesome. Who wouldn't want to do that? Okay, in the ancient world, water was like on the top list of fears. You did not want to be around water. They didn't know things like we know now. Of You can't study underwater to know what's under there. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew that every once in a while it got really turbulent and drowned their friends and their boats. It was this dark, chaotic, mysterious mass that they had no control over. The waters were chaotic and scary. So imagine, like your greatest fear, on both sides of you, and you're asked to just walk through this chaotic, mysterious, fearful thing. That requires a lot of courage, huh? It requires a lot of trust in God. 
Friends, that's the same in our faith lives. The journey that God takes us on, it's not one for the faint of heart. It requires a lot of faith and trust in God. Sometimes it means facing some hard fears. But the second point is more important than that. And that is that God can be trusted in the process. That our fears stand nothing against the power of God. For this is God's work. The Israelites didn't accomplish any of this. It was all the Lord. The Israelites' role was simply to trust and obey, as we sang earlier. To keep moving forward. And as they moved forward and trust to see the deliverance the Lord would provide for them. Our call is the same. We are called to trust and obey, to set aside our fear of change and instead trust that the Lord is strong and powerful and desires to lead us toward a better life, a life of rest and joy and peace and relationship and covenant with him. I also want to say with the the recent passing of two of our beloved members, Dick and Joanne, a time in our lives when we see this deepest trust played out is when we move in that final journey from this life to the next. Perhaps that's the scariest journey that there is to go on. To trust that God will safely lead us from one land to another. And that when we get there, it's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. It's going to be the paradise that God has intended for us. It's going to be life with God. Life and peace and joy everlasting. There's a significant difference watching a Christian die. As we were able to watch Dick and Joanne die. It's hard. It, it's scary. But there's a peace there because they trust in the Lord who is leading them through the sea, who will lead them to the other side. And that is my prayer for all of us, that in this life, that we would trust God for those journeys that he has us on, And that one day when we reach that last journey, that that trust would be played out to the nth degree as we trust God ultimately to lead us on that last leg of the journey. I praise God for witnesses like Dick and Joanne and others from our congregation who have shown us that so faithfully. What a life of faith can be. A life of peace and trust in the God of the journey. So our closing prayer today is going to be a song that we're going to sing together. It's hymn number 581, if you want to follow in your hymnal. It's, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'"